Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. It blesses me every week to see you connect, to listen, to learn, and of course, to grow. If you're a current subscriber, I want to let you know that it blesses me that you return every week. Thank you for your faithfulness. I really appreciate it. If you are new to this podcast, I hope and pray that it blesses you, that you get more than expected, and that it help you break free from old paradigms, mental constructs, mindsets, and strongholds that keep holding you back. I pray that this podcast help catapult you into the right direction to fulfill the God-given purpose for your life. I once heard someone say, you're one decision away from stupid. (laughs) You're one decision away from stupid. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? God places before us a free will. He gives us a free will. He allows us to choose the route that we will travel the way that we will go. He is a gentleman and he does not force us to go a certain way, to believe a certain way, or to do certain things. There's a, there's a scripture that I love, and it is in Psalm, it is Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Let me say that again. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It is a declaration, a beautiful declaration, but is also a choice. It is a choice to recognize, number one, that this day was made by God, and second, that I will choose to rejoice and to be glad in it, regardless of whatever I may be going through, whatever situation I may be in or about to go into, I will choose, no matter how how grim the day may seem, I choose because my choices will determine my destination. So I want to share a message with you today that, that I was blessed and honored to share at a church at Destiny Through Christ. And so I want to share it with you today. I hope that it encourages you to to choose to rejoice and to be glad regardless of your circumstances, to change your perspective so that you will shift your destination. You will bless the Lord. And I pray that when you leave today, that you would make a conscious decision to get up every morning to say what David said, I will rejoice. I will be glad. The foundational verse for today is Deuteronomy 30, 19, and I'm going to connect all of these dots. Now watch this. The Word of God says, this, is a, this, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose what? Life, so that you and your children may live. You're going to find out throughout the message that I will stop if I do this, This means that I would like for you to complete what uh, the verse says. It doesn't mean that I've forgotten the verse. I'm an educator, so I do that a lot. I just want you to fill in the blanks. So he says, choose life. I'm also a counselor and a life coach. And people say, Milton, I want to change my life. How do I do that? Do you have like three easy steps? And I tell them, well, there's not an easy way, but there is a way. We have to look at what we do on a consistent basis, what we call those habits, right? And I tell people, you bring in yesterday's habits into the new day, you will produce the exact same outcome. If you don't change what you've been doing that has gotten you into trouble, if you don't change it, then nothing is going to change. And I say this a lot. I say, if you always do what you've always done, and you always think what you've always thought, You will always get what you've always gotten. It's that simple. You don't have to go to a psychologist or a counselor to figure that out. We have to realize today that we are three-part being, mind, body, and spirit. Today, I'm going to focus on the mind. The mind is the battlefield of the enemy. Amen? That's where the enemy likes to lurk. 
likes to hang out, likes to try and infiltrate, and likes to affect. The Bible says that the enemy is a liar, a deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. His very nature is to lie. And he goes throughout our lives lying to us. And you know what? He'll use people to lie to us. He'll use a teacher. He'll use a relative. He'll use a friend, a neighbor. And what's worse, he'll use our very own parents at times. And our parents will say, pues mijo, a mí me educaron de esa manera. I was raised that way, and therefore I don't know what is right and what is wrong. That is also a lie. I visit halfway houses where prisoners are straight out of prison, and they come into this place for rehabilitation for six months. And once I get these guys, usually 20 at a time, I don't do this anymore, but I would get these guys 20 at a time, all committed some crazy crimes, some, some really ugly looking folks, you know, and they would sit there, and I remember there was a guy who was bald, and he had a demon on the back of his head, and every time I quoted scripture, he would just do this. <laughs> and I would see this devil with flames on the back of his head. It was crazy. But I would ask these guys the same question all the time. I would ask them a very simple question. Who's influenced your life? Who's been your greatest influence? What do you think they said? My what? My father. I would then ask them, was it a positive or a negative influence? What do you think they said? Negative. I mean, they were in a halfway house. Come on. They just got out of prison. I would ask them to describe their parents using one word. They would say, describe their dad using one word. They would say, come on, can I use more than just one word? (laughs) And I would say, yeah. Can I use a cuss word, sir? I would say, man, if that makes you happy and it's part of your rehabilitation process, go for it. They would say the most terrible things about their own dads. And it would break my heart because I have an awesome relationship with my father and with my children, my grandchildren. So to know that they didn't all have the same opportunities I had growing up in life really broke my heart, and I would have to hold back the tears. And after hearing all 20 of them say all these terrible things about their dads, then I would ask the very last question. The very last question was, did your father ever tell you that you would end up in prison someday? And all of them categorically would say, yes. My father told me that I would end up in prison if I didn't change my life. Can you remember how many times he told you (laughs) repeatedly over the years since I was a child? And those words became prophetic. The Bible says that there's power in the tongue, power to bring life or death. It's just that simple. So we almost like pre-program our kids or we we were pre-programmed to believe a certain way. And those lies are what the enemy uses and builds a foundation brick by brick, brick by brick, Brick by brick, every one of those lies that we receive, brick by brick by brick by brick, forms a wall between us and God, keeping us from God's best. And in the church, we call that a stronghold. In psychology, we call it a paradigm. And we tell people, you need a paradigm shift. If you want to get to point B, you need a paradigm shift. Let me tell you, God loves you right where you're at, but he doesn't want to see you stay there the rest of your life. You may be like, I'm a Christian, and I come to church, and I come on. That's all good. But don't get too comfortable, because God loves you where you're at, but he wants to see you continue to grow. Amen? Amen. Amen? See, the Bible says in John 10.10, he says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and? Okay. And then Jesus comes. he, He says, but I, he says, I've come to give you life. Okay. Now, check this out. Watch this. He says, I've come to give you life comma, life more abundantly, okay, life more abundantly. I've come to give you life, comma. A lot of Christians are living on the left side of the comma. They haven't gotten to the right side of the comma yet. They know that Jesus came to give them life, but because they're so stuck on yesterday, they're stuck on their history, they can't see their destiny in Christ. So I want you to understand that those strongholds are like paradigms. Every one of us in this room has it. And over time, we discover those things. We bring them to the conscious awareness through Scripture, And we say what David said, oh, Lord, search my heart and put my thoughts to the test. If we don't ask God to search our hearts and put our thoughts to the test, and he doesn't put them to the test, then we'll never know what we don't know. If you don't know what you don't know, then you can't grow. It's that plain and simple. That's why you go to the doctor when you have pain. They run an x-ray, they run an MRI, a CAT scan, whatever it is, to find where the issue is at. It's that simple. So I want you to understand this today, that each and every one of us has some kind of a stronghold some kind of a paradigm, some kind of a wall, a belief system that you have accepted as a truth over time. Now, I'm going to give you four 
Four statements, four basic statements, and I just want you to fill in the blanks for me today, loud and clear. If you know the answer, say it all together, okay? Fill in the blank. Curiosity killed? Okay, very good. Check, you got that one right. You are what you? Check, you got that one right. Ignorance is? Check, you got that one right. The last one, last one. Knowledge is? Check, you got them all right. <laughs> awesome job, guys. The, yeah, don't clap. No, 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 that's a little too fast. You see, the problem is that they're all lies, but you know them by heart. You see, you can ask a child, hey, curiosity killed what? The cat? Who told you? My mom? When? When I was five and asking a bunch of questions, she said, curiosity killed the cat? And that poor child accepted that as a truth because over time the mother or father repeated that. And then he made it to school, and now he's failing in middle school or high school because he fails to ask the questions to the teacher because he doesn't want to die in the process. That's what you call a paradigm. Let me tell you, curiosity didn't kill the cat. Stupidity killed the cat. Okay? Can I say it plain and simple? Just like that. You are not what you eat. You are what you think. What you think caused you to decide what you were going to eat. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is poverty and eventually death, and knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is power. It's that simple. But these are things that we have believed. <laughs> Even we take scripture and we change it up and we want to sound the Christianese, we say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. And that's not even in the scripture. It's not even in the word of God. If God closes one door, he'll open a bigger one. That's not in the word of God. My wish is your command, saith the Lord. That's not in the word of God. We switch those things. We believe them as truth. And because nobody ever told us that they were lies, those things start to grow. Whatever you think about, listen, whatever you think about will grow. How many gardeners do we have in here? How many people like gardening? How many people with green thumbs? You like gardening? No, your son raised his hand. <laughs> He's like, do you like to garden? That's awesome. Okay, so let me tell you, there's, there's a tree called the Chinese bamboo tree. You've seen bamboo. Well, there's a thing called Chinese bamboo. The Chinese bamboo tree is really interesting. I'm going to use it as a little illustration so you can understand how your mind works. The Chinese bamboo tree takes... Four to five years to break the ground. Four to five years. In other words, whoever plants it has to cultivate it, water it, fertilize it for four to five years before they actually see anything happen. So they plant it. They remove the weeds constantly. They fertilize it. They water it. And the process goes on and on and on and on for four to five years. After four to five years, all of a sudden, it breaks the ground and they see a tiny little route. Now watch this. Now this is where it gets really crazy. In six weeks, the Chinese bamboo tree will grow 80 feet. Now if you're not really good with math, let me break it down for you. If it grows 80 feet in six weeks, what that is is almost one inch per hour for the lapse of six weeks. So if you sat there after it sprouted and you watched it for 12 hours, it would be the length of a ruler, okay? That's how fast it grows. So in six weeks, it grows 80 feet, but it took four to five years to break the ground. Now, what does that have to do with anything? It's the same thing with your thoughts. You may not see anything today. But that one thought that you've been planting and watering and cultivating and fertilizing over time, although you don't see anything today, but you've been cultivating, fertilizing, watering over time, and you don't see anything, but then all of a sudden, after four to five years, it breaks the ground, and it grows 80 feet in six weeks. And if it's good, well, praise the Lord. It will bear good fruit. But if it's not... It will not bear good fruit, and it'll take over your life, and it will mess things up. Whatever seeds you're sowing in the minds of your children, whatever seeds you're sowing into your own mind, let me tell you, it has to start with you, because you can't give what you don't have. You can't teach what you don't know, and you can't guide someone to a place that you've never been to before. It's that simple. You cannot give what you do not have. If you're trying to sow seeds... 
If you're trying to sow the word of God into the minds of your children, well, you first need to know the word of God. Otherwise, they're going to grow up to think that curiosity did, in fact, kill the cat. Amen? Those strongholds over time, they take over if we're not careful. They're invisible but yet powerful. And one of the ways of removing or taking down those strongholds is by the renewing of the mind. You see, that's what's beautiful is that we can renew the mind. I pointed out a young man who was in the first service, Joey, and Joey doesn't mind me mentioning this. Joey came from another church. He's a good friend of mine. A year and a half to two years ago, his father called me. I didn't know them, and he said, I need to see you quickly. And we met, and it turned out his son had tried to commit suicide twice. Joey, who was sitting in the second row today. And I saw him, and we could not make, he would not make eye contact. He was slouched, so he wouldn't talk. He wanted to take his life again and again and again. We worked together. We renewed the mindset through the scripture, through truth. He thought that he would never finish school, that he would never amount up to anything at all, that he would never be good in relationships, that he would never lose weight, that he would never do this, never do that, and all these ideas. Well, today, he's a certified teacher. He's lost 30 pounds. He's got a beautiful smile. He walks straight. He makes eye contact. And he came over to shake my hand and say, God is good. Milton, God is good. I said, amen, he is. And he's proof that God can do those things in every one of our lives if we are willing. Remember, God is not looking for perfection, only disposition, disposition of the heart and of the mind. Let me tell you that fear is something that has the potential to hold us back from getting to the point where God wants to see us, from getting from the left side of the comma to the right side of the comma. Fear. But you need to understand the truth is that fear is not something that has been wired into your mind. In other words, you are not hardwired to fear. Actually, Paul reminds Timothy, to the young Timothy, he says, Timothy, he says, God has not given you the spirit of fear. He says he's not. See, you were not born with the spirit of fear. Fear was wired into your mind through your parents, teachers, people around you, or total strangers, or your own self. You wired that in. You can wire it out. You see, your default mode if you've ever worked on computers or electronic devices, it will ask you, even a phone will say, do you want to go back to default mode, right, to factory, you know, settings? If we were to set you back to your factory settings the way that you were created as a child, kids are fearless, right? <laughs> if you have little ones, they're fearless. You see, our default mode, our factory settings are three, power, love, and what else? and a sound mind. That's what Paul told Timothy. You've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's who you are. Don't succumb to fear. Don't succumb to those patterns, visualizations, mental constructs, paradigms, strongholds. Tear them down. How do you do it? You bring those thoughts to conscious awareness and you line them up with the word of God and you bring them all captive to Christ. And when you do that and they don't add up, then you start tearing down those strongholds. Because whatever the enemy has told you that you are or that you are not, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, is not true. But how do you do that? You have to know the word. Because you don't know what you don't know. You can't just go by what I say or your pastor says or other people say. You have to go by what the Word says. Amen. And you have to own it. You have to make it your own. You see, I, I hear people say, you know, they don't take ownership over their own actions. And they, they say things like, I'm not sure why I said that. And I just tell them, yes, you are. Yeah, you are. I, I didn't mean to do that. Yes, you did. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He's not that powerful. Actually, we have power over the enemy, and he's under my foot. That's where the devil is. So he has no power. The Bible says that the enemy is a defeated foe. He's defeated. So don't give him so much credit. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it. You know, I told the first service, I said, we need to stop just declaring and affirming things without any action. We say things like, I'm healed, you know. 
By the stripes of Jesus Christ, I declare today, I am healed. Isaiah 53, 5. And what are you healed from? Well, I have this stomach issue. And I'm always, I'm taking meds because I've always got this acid reflux and, and I can't sleep at night. And, but I'm healed by the blood of Christ. I'm healed. But you go back and you eat hot Cheetos. You eat your takis. <laughs> She's like, shh, don't say that. <laughs> oh, but you declare it. The person who says, I want to run a marathon without training, but I want to run 26.2, but I don't want to train, but I'm trusting. I'm trusting in the Lord. What are you trusting? Philippians 4.13. I've even tattooed it on my calves. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I look at them and I say, you must be nuts. You must be crazy. Affirmation and declaration without action is the beginning of insanity. The Lord shall provide for all of my needs according to his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. Well, yeah, but if you don't get off of your rear end and go to work, the Bible also says if you don't work, you don't eat. Gosh, it bothers me when they say things like that. Declaration and affirmation without any action is the beginning of, of insanity. And we wake up in the morning and we want to get pumped up and encouraged, but it's a choice. Turn on the latest video. Let's watch, you know, Gary V or Trent Shelton or let's listen to Tony Robbins or, or you know, whoever it may be. And let's do, you know, Jay Shetty. Let's get all pumped up and listen to the guy. We go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was having a bad day, but now I'm feeling better. And then 30 minutes later, you go, man, I need another shot of that. Another video, another video, another video, another video to be, to get encouraged. You see, your encouragement should rise within you, Amen. not without Amen. you. It doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. Your worship is not generated by what goes on here. Your worship is generated for what goes on here. And again, it is a choice. It is a choice. David was being persecuted by his very own men, the mighty men of David, who were his greatest supporters. They loved him. I mean, they, they, they worshiped the guy. But because they came back to Ziglag, a temporary camp where they had left their children and wives and all their possessions, and they came back victorious from fighting the Philistine army, they came back to find that the Amalekites had come at the midnight hour and had taken all their wives and children and all their possession and burnt down the camp. And so David comes from a place of victory to a place of defeat, and he's standing there, and he hears the voices, and the Bible says that David cried until he could cry no more. He cried every last tear. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Where you have no more tears to cry? I've been there. I know how it feels. And David was there, and he's hearing these people. He's hearing the commotion. They're whispering. They're murmuring, and they're saying, let's kill this guy. Let's stone him to death. They're talking about the guy who they used to follow, respect, and honor. Now they want to kill him. And what does David do? The Bible says that David did one thing, and it changed everything. It changed the course and the destination of his life. It says, but David, but David encouraged himself. He didn't go out and look for someone to encourage him. No, 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 no. He said, and David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God, and in him found strength. You see, we're looking for outside encouragement, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. He said, I'm going to choose to encourage myself. And he went before the Lord, and the Lord encouraged him, gave him strength, and he inquired of the Lord, what do I do? He said, persecute the Amalekites, for surely I would give you back everything that they've taken from you. And that's exactly what God did. We're looking for encouragement in the wrong places, but we need to decide and choose to encourage ourselves. We've got to change the, we've got to flip the switch. We've got to shift. You see, regeneration, our hearts are regenerated through Christ. We give our lives to Christ. We have a regeneration that goes on in the inside. We get a new heart. But the mind is not renewed unless we decide and we choose. That's something that we have to do. And Paul said, don't conform to the world. Don't be like everyone else. Don't succumb to the trends, to the YouTubers, to the influencers. This is my own translation. To the influencers, to the YouTubers. Don't be like them. Don't be like the world. Don't do what everyone's doing. Monkey see, monkey do. Uh-uh. He says, don't. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, and when you do that, you will taste and see 
and understand God's perfect, pleasing, and goodwill for your life. But it starts here. This is automatic when you give your life to Christ. This. This is a choice that we make every single day. And I pray that when you leave this place that you would decide to do that, to live a life free of of, of toxic feelings. Let me tell you that whatever you think, what did I say? Whatever you think will what? Grow like the bamboo tree. Whatever you think will grow like the bamboo tree, and it will direct your life. Some of you are so hung up on your history that you can't see God's destiny for your life. And that's impeding you from getting to where God wants to see you. And everything starts with a thought. Everything. I shared earlier today, everything starts with a thought. I said, you wake up in the morning and you say, today's going to be a bad day. Why? Because it's raining and it's cold. I'm so tired of this. And if it's hot, because it's hot. I'm so tired of this. Right? So you think about it and then you say it. But first it was a thought. Now you said it. So now it affected your emotions because now you're slouched over and you don't really want to do anything. So now it's an emotion. And now the emotion is not only stopping there, but your emotion is dictating your decisions because now you're choosing. You're choosing to have a bad day. So it started out as a thought that became a word. The word became a decision. The decision influenced what? Your emotions influenced your decisions and eventually your decisions became your actions. So now you're living out a bad day. And those actions repeated over time, they're called habits. So now people see you and they go, man, stay away from her. Stay away from him because they're always in a bad mood. They've got the stinking thinking. They're like a, like a dirty diaper on a baby. Stay away from man, because it'll, it'll, it's contagious. It'll stink you up. If you've ever held a baby with a dirty diaper, it's like your shirt stinks and everything, right? No offense to babies. I mean, we've all been there. We've all worn diapers at one point. But what I'm saying is that the thought became a word. The word became an emotion. The emotion became a decision. The decision became an action. The action became a habit. The habit formed the character. The character. So now people say, well, that's just his character. He's always grumpy and moody. Up until like 10 a.m., once he has two cups of coffee, now he's better. So everybody knows you now. You're the grumpy old man in the office. Or you're the mean neighbor. Or you're that person that always has a smile that always has something wonderful to say about other people, that always like to give generously, it all depends on what your character is because your character eventually will direct your destiny. And everything starts with a thought. With a thought. It's that plain and simple. I want to share, I'm going to go into a, a story from the Bible that I want to capitalize on. But I, again, want you to understand that if you're here today and you're struggling with something, I know that some of you are struggling about 99.99% of you are struggling with something. And I want you to tell you that you don't have to live that way. And this is not pie-in-the-sky thinking. I'm telling you, if you effectively incorporate the Word of God and you flip the switch, things will happen. But you've got to change it. A lot of people tell me, man, well, you've never gone through anything. You've always got to smile, man, because, I mean, life has been good to you. We've been following you. We know what you're up to. We've seen where you've been, what you do. I tell them, yeah, that's only the past five years. You want to go back a few years and see where I was at and the things that I had to endure and pray with a wife who went to sleep and never woke up again and have to look over and say, good morning, sweetheart, and not ever get a reply. You see, I've been there. I know what death is. I know what it is to wake up next to someone who's lifeless. I know what it is. I know what tragedy looks like. I've seen it right in the face but I didn't succumb to it. And I was surrounded by people who taught me, this is not your lot in life. You will overcome in Christ. And I want to tell you today, amen, that you will overcome whatever your situation may be. I will capitalize on that a little bit later. But I want to remind you again that the spirit is regenerated in Christ, but the mind is renewed by our own choice, our own decisions. You see, there is a story in the Bible about the woman with the issue of blood. How many of you have ever read the story, the woman with the issue of blood? She's in the Gospels. How many years has she uh, been suffering from an issue of blood? Twelve years. Now, kind of picture her. I'm a visual learner, so kind of picture this woman. The Levitical law of the time 
mandated that she exclude herself from the community, so she was isolated by herself. She was destitute for 12 years. Because if a woman had a hemorrhage, she was considered unclean. So every time, every month she went through her cycle, she was unclean, and she had to isolate herself. And there was a process, a ritual they had to go through as far as cleaning everything in order for them to reinstate themselves into society. Keep in mind that this woman had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. For 12 years, we don't know if she had children, if she had a spouse, if she had family. We really don't know much about her. We just know about her condition. We also know that she spent all of her money, all of her resources, all of her time seeking help, and nobody was able to help her. So at this point, she's on a cot. This is my, my version of the story. She's on a cot in a small room. She has a window. She's laying there. Her anemia or her red blood count is probably out of four. She's in desperate need of a transfusion, which they didn't do back then. She's in desperate need of a transfusion. If she doesn't get one, she's going to die. But this woman is sitting there or laying there, lifeless almost, no energy, and she hears the, the tumult, the commotion. And every time she hears these voices and she hears about this Messiah, about this Jesus guy that's going around raising people from the dead, bringing sight to the blind, went into a, a house and told the little girl who was dead, Tali Takumi, little girl, rise up, and she got up. So she's hearing all this, and in the process of hearing this, guess what's happening to her heart? Her heart is being filled with expectation and with faith all the way to her mind. Now, faith comes by and hearing the word. That's what the Bible says. Hey, Milton, how can I grow my faith? <laughs> Through the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The lady who had been hearing about this Jesus. So she's there, she's hearing over and over and over. See, she had been programmed for 12 years by her family, by the doctors and the crazy people. She had been programmed to believe that she was going to die and succumb to this illness. That is your destiny. You're going to bleed your last drop and you're going to die. So death had already been programmed into her mind. <laughs> Not until Jesus showed up and Jesus turned all that around. Because she started hearing about the miracle worker, the life changer. She started hearing the expectation, the hope, the faith. And then all of a sudden, she hears that he's back in town. And I imagine she looked through the window, and she saw the multitude. She saw someone right in the middle, someone who glowed like nobody's business. And she thought one thought that she repeated over time. Instead of saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. She said, I'm going to live, I'm going to live, I'm going to live, I'm going to live. All I need, she said, all I need is to touch the hem of his garment. That's it. And she repeated that over and over and over and over. Si tan solo pudiera tocar el borde de su manto. Let me translate that. If only I could touch the hem of his garment, I will be What? healed. So she dragged herself out into the multitude. She went out there with her anemia, as bad as it was, dragged herself, got trampled on, dirt kicked in her face, but she made all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way to where Jesus was. She stretched out her hand and just barely the tip of her finger just touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus stopped. He looked around, looked at his disciples, says, who touched me? They said, Lord, come on. Seriously? <laughs> There's like a thousand people, man. It's like, this is, again, my version. You're like a rock star. Everyone wants to be around you. They want to get their selfies taken with you. Come on, you're like a rock star, Jesus. He said, exactly. They are here for a different reason, but whoever touched me came with a level of faith like nobody's business. And the woman was there, and she says, Lord, it was I. Now, I imagine this woman was trembling because she broke the law the Levitical law. So she's trembling, she's down on the ground, and she's looking, and she says, Lord, it was I. And I, I can also imagine Jesus come down, looking at her straight in the eyes, and he, and he calls her something. He calls her something. What does he call her? He doesn't only call her daughter. He calls her what? My daughter. Gosh, if Jesus, I mean, Jesus calling you my daughter? That's crazy. Man, that, that, that'll change your life. 
guess what? He already has called you my daughter and my son. So he says directly, my daughter, your faith has healed you. Get up. And we know the rest of the story. She goes off healed and follows Jesus and all these things. Amen? So you're like, yeah, but that happened back then. It still happens today. It still happens today. And you got to wake up again. Like I said, every morning you're saying, today is the day. Today is my day. Today is the day that I will receive my healing. Today is the day. My leg might be hurting still, but I'm going to walk straight as I can. And I'm going to say, I'm the healed of the Lord. I'm going to live and not die. The Lord is restoring my health. And we do that consistently. That is shifting, shifting that mindset and breaking down those strongholds. You have to do this repeatedly. And over time, you will start to accept it as the truth. It takes time. How long does it take to, to form a habit? Lies from the devil. <laughs> That's another lie that we've all believed. It takes 21 days. Just do it for 21 days and you'll be good. Uh-uh. According to psychology, it takes 63 days, 21, three, three cycles of 21 days, 63 days. You do something repeatedly for 63 days, and you repeat that one thing over time for 63 days consistently. Three elements, intentional, consistent, and disciplined. The other way around. Intentional, disciplined, and consistent. The intentionality to see it, I can see myself healed. The discipline to act on it, I'm going to eat right and exercise and stay away from stressors that are making me sick. And the consistency to keep it going for 63 days. And when you hit the mark, the rest is a piece of cake. It's that simple. Let me, let me share with you in closing. Okay, so you heard my story 10 years, uh, over 10 years ago, I, I uh, woke up to find my wife of 17 years lifeless. I won't tell you the whole story. If you, wanna, if you want to hear the whole story, uh, they, they actually asked me to do a, a TED Talk about it. And if you go to my Instagram, it's on my bio. You can just click on that video and you can watch it. It's 12 minutes. It's a beautiful story. Make sure that you have a box of Kleenex. You'll learn something from it, I assure you. But I want to share something with you. And one of the things that my wife told me before she passed away, the night before, she says, Milton, she says, I've been praying for you that God would bring a woman into your life that'll bless you like you've blessed me, that'll care for you like you've cared for me, that'll love the Lord above all things and love you and David alike. When you see her, you will know who she is. Don't reject her. Make sure that you accept her. You get married, and you continue living life. And I thought, what? I mean, who tell, what, what type of wife tells her husband that, right? And I was like, well, I said, you need to go to sleep now. You know, you're, you're, you're speaking gibberish. We need to go to sleep. She says, you need to understand. Well, you know, she passed away the next day, and, or during the nighttime, she passes away. And a few months later, my son says to me, my 15-year-old son, he says, Dad, you're becoming this grumpy old man. You need to get married. He said, you, you, you need a wife. You need a woman in your life. And how many of you know that the Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone, right? It was not good. <laughs> David, my son, said, you need to get married, Dad. Come on. You need to get married. And so I remember what my wife had told me, and I remember being at church, and I was pastoring a Spanish church, the family church, Spanish ministry. And I was at the door saying goodbye to everybody, and here comes this woman. And it was one of those, you know, it was kind of like there was a light shining on her, following her around and said, that's the one. That's the one. And when she came to me and I said, welcome to the church. She was a visitor. Welcome to the church. I keep on telling her it was planned, right? Welcome to the church. And I said, can I ask you a question? She says, sure. She thought that my excessive enthusiasm was kind of weird. I said, welcome to, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, single or married? She said, excuse me? I said, what you heard? Single or married? Just answer the question. She said, single. I said, hot dog, this is the one. <laughs> okay, I said, glory to God. <laughs> glory to God. And that's my wife today. But let me fast forward. And because I want to give you four points that are very important for flipping the switch or what I call detoxing the mind so that you can get healed in whatever area of your life. You make sure that you write this down. It's going to be very important. I prayed... Before getting remarried, I prayed and I wrote a long list of characteristics that I wanted in this woman that I was pursuing. I said, you said, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> These are my desires. Give it to me, Lord. <laughs> Every characteristic from physical to mental to emotional 
the spiritual, every single thing. I want someone I can run with, someone that can work out with me. I want someone who I can have intellectual conversations with. I want someone who's healthy and whole and loves the Lord above all things. I mean, I had a list, and I got it. I got what I wanted. I was like, man, this is like too perfect. This is really cool. It took us a while, and we had a son. So if you know me, I have a 27-year-old son, two grandkids, and I have a six-year-old son too. Yeah, I know. 21 years apart. That's okay. I started all over again. But a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, talking about someone who's extremely healthy, extremely doing well, and one day she wakes up and she says to me, Milton, I'm dizzy. Well, we knew she wasn't pregnant, so then we were a little concerned. Okay, you're dizzy. Maybe your blood sugar dropped or something. You know, just... The next day, I'm getting dizzier, and over time, she got more and more to the point. Very quickly, she became disabled was no longer able to walk, could hardly talk, couldn't read. Uh, she wouldn't leave the room. She fell into a deep state of depression and was about to give up. And so for almost 10 months, she was in a room and didn't do anything. We went to all different doctors. We pursued, we made sure that we went we went even you know, into Mexico with uh, specialists who deal, dealt with things similar to this. And they all told us the exact same thing. They told us the name of the disease. They told us there's no research for it uh, because it affects such a small population. But what we can tell you is it's progressive. There is no cure. She won't die from it, but she will probably die from depression. So when you get a diagnosis, you have to remind yourself that only God has the prognosis. Let me say that again because some of you didn't get it. When you hear it from the doctor, that's just a diagnosis because God has the prognosis. He tells you what the forecast is. So we remember that. So people ask me today, how is she doing? This has been two years now. How is she doing now? And I tell her, she runs. She pedals on her bike. She drives her car. She's not 100%. She's 65%, 70%, but she's living a normal life. God restored her health. Here goes four things that she did, guys. Four things that she did. Write these down. People ask me, well, what did she do? Share it. Number one, identify. That's the first step. Identify the problem. What is it? That's when we say, like David said, Lord, search my heart and put my thoughts to the test. I want to figure out, Lord, is it physical? Run me uh, under an MRI or CAT scan or, or, or something because I want to know where it's at. Is it a physical thing? Is it a spiritual thing? Search my heart, O oh Lord, and put my thoughts to the test. Tell me if I've sinned, if there's something, if there's a door that I've opened so that I can go and shut that thing quickly. So tell me what it is because it could be, it could be something spiritual. It could be something, it could be something that's physical. It could be so many different things. But search, search me, Lord. Show me so I can identify it and bring it to my conscious awareness. Number one. Number two, focus. So you go from identifying, now you know what you know, so now you focus. That's deep thought, visualization. You reflect, a reflection that produces physical changes within your mind, it's called neuroplasticity. The mind has, the, the brain, not the mind, the mind is one thing, the brain is another, but the mind controls the brain. The brain has the adaptability and the capability to remold itself, it's malleable, it can be shaped in different ways, removing old patterns, bringing new ones in. It's called neuroplasticity, it's proven, it's, it's biblical, Romans 12, 2. Focus, deep thought visualization, get up every morning and instead of saying, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, it's like the woman with the issue of blood, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed, I'll be healed, I'll be healed. So you start to envision the opposite of what they told you. You start to see yourself overcoming, breaking free, living the life of abundance that Jesus has called you to live. Psalm, I'm sorry, Philippians 4.8. This is when people say, what do I think about? Paul said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You evaluate, Lord, show me. So you focus, you change your way the, the way that you think. If your thoughts do not line up with the word of God, if they are not worthy of praise, you've got to flip the switch. That's what's getting you into the hole. What's going to get you out of the hole is the word of God. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay, number three, write. Write it down. So you've identified, you're focusing, now God has given you a word. You're going through the scripture, the Lord gives you a word, the Lord gives you a promise, you write it down. You go into my house, index card are plastered everywhere. 
The dashboard in her car, index card are plastered everywhere. There's post-it notes. There's notes here. There's notes there. Reminder, 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 reminder of what God's promises for her life. And she walks in that word every day. So you have to write it down. The prophet Habakkuk, when he was calling unto God, saying, Lord, what about the promise that you gave me? And of course, he said, look, Habakkuk, he says, though the promise may linger, though it may tarry, though it may take some time, expect it because I told you and surely it will come to pass. But he goes on to say, write, listen, write down clearly on tablets what I reveal to you so that it can be read at a glance. God is telling Habakkuk, write it down. They had no post-it notes, no index card. They had pieces of rocks or whatever it was, you know, like the Flintstones or whatever. I don't know. You know, write it down. So writing it makes a connection in your brain between the two hemispheres, the corpus callosum interacts, and that thing that you're writing down, thinking about, and focusing on now starts to become a reality because now it's embedded in your mind, and that's all you can think about. And number four, rehearse and revisit. Rehearse and revisit. Rehearse and revisit because you're not always going to be there, okay? You've got to rehearse it and revisit. You go back again to the Word. You go back again to the Word. You say again, Lord, search my heart, put me to the test. Search my heart, put me to the test. James 1, 2, 22, 24 says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the Word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. I'm going to stop there. Act on what you hear. You have to go back and revisit the word that God gave you. Revisit, revisit, revisit. Otherwise, it'll go in one ear and go out the other ear. I guarantee you, if you don't do anything with what you've learned today and you go home 72 hours proven, proven, 72 hours later, you will forget everything that I said because all it was was an emotional movement within you and not a spiritual and conscious one, you will forget in 72 hours if you don't do anything with what you learned today. So when you come to church and you don't write anything down, guess what? According to doctors, it becomes mental gas. Yeah, I know, it's kind of funny. It becomes mental gas. So I'm gonna end with this. I pray that you get to a place in your life. Now listen to this. This is your takeaway today. I pray that you get to a place in your life where you stop being the victim and the poor me mentality. Es que tú no sabes, hermano. La vida ha sido muy tremenda conmigo. Uh, no. Tú decidiste que la vida fuera así. No importa donde vivas, puedes vivir de otra manera. You can live a different life. But I want to say this is your takeaway. You got to get to a point in your life where you stop blaming your biology, it's the body you gave me, Lord. You stop being a victim to your genealogy, it's the parents you gave me, Lord. And you take responsibility and you accept that it's your psychology that's gotten you to the hole in which you're at right now. It's you. You. You stop blaming the people around you. You make a conscious decision to change. God is not looking for perfection, only disposition. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. I want to tell you this. A lot of you might come up and ask, like a lot of people, and say, well, how, where do I start? Well, I'm glad you asked. The way that you start is by saying yes to Jesus, because that's who healed the lady who had the issue of blood. It wasn't just the fact that she thought what she thought. Remember, affirmation and declaration without action is the beginning of, of insanity. She got out of her place of comfort. She did not succumb to her condition. She did not become complacent. She said, I'm tired of being tired. I'm going to do something about this. And I know the source of healing is close by. I'm going to go get me some healing today. Well, the source of the healing for your life today is actually present and active and is telling you that today is the day of salvation. So with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, please, no one looking around, I just want to tell you that there are some of you here today that you've never said yes to Jesus. Never. And that's okay. There's no condemnation for you, but I can only tell you that life won't change if you just change your mindset, but you don't regenerate your heart through the process of salvation through Christ. Nothing's really going to happen. And if it happens, it's going to be short term, not long term, eternal. 
If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never let him into your life and give him, you know, uh, sovereignty over you, lordship over you, today is the day. Or maybe you're here today and you did at one point many years ago and then you've kind of fallen into a rut and you've kind of fallen away from the Lord and you say, you know what, I want to rededicate my life. If that's you today, any, either one of those two groups, would you please raise your hand? I just want to see who you are today. I want to pray for you. Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Even little guys raising their hands. Praise God. Thank you. Put your hands up so I can just see who you are. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. Put your hands down. Say, keep your eyes closed, please. I'm going to pray a prayer. I told the, uh, the earlier folks that there's no magic behind the prayer. There's just miracle. It's, it's a miraculous prayer. So when we pray with our hearts and our minds, we believe God comes in, changes our hearts, and then it's our decision to choose to change our minds. So would you all repeat after me as we pray with our brothers and sisters who are receiving Christ or rededicating their lives today? Let's pray. Let's say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I open my heart this morning. I recognize that you're the Son of God that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose on the third day. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Change my heart. Give me a new one. Change my life. Give me a new one. Heal my body. As of today, I will follow you the rest of my life. And I know that in you, I have the hope of eternal life. Amen. Well, I hope that message blessed you today. I hope that it brought uh, a sense of direction to your life, clarity into your life. And I hope that you're able to take some, some really good takeaways with you that you can put in your toolbox to help you in this journey called life so that you can continue growing in the direction that God, that God has planned for you. Again, remember that everything is a choice. We all decide. We all decide the way that we'll go, the route that we will take. Choose wisely. And even if you change just one little thing about yourself, just one little thing in your direction, you will end up in a completely different destination. You will produce a different outcome and live the life that God, that God has prepared for you. God bless you guys. I love you. Stay safe. Uh, I encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and family, especially if it made a difference in your life today. Would you take a few minutes to give us a five-star rating and leave a positive comment? That helps us get the word out. It helps us connect with other people. All right. Take care, guys. Love you in Christ. Bye-bye.